0: The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff and welcome to Having It All in Other Lies. The podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Today's guest, Marissa Hermer, is an entrepreneur, author, and restaurateur. Using her extensive experience in F&B public relations and marketing, Hermer has most recently created a fine dining experience at the widely acclaimed and under normal circumstances, terribly hard to get into Olavetta. Offering cuisine and ambiance rooted in a Mediterranean lifestyle, as well as the Draycott, a family brasserie cafe and flagship restaurant of Caruso's Palisades Village, which draws inspiration from her time living in London and features classic meals made from fresh local products with British inflection. At the onset of the COVID pandemic, with most of the hospitality industry forced to shut down, Hermer launched You Give, We Cook, They Eat a fundraiser operated by both restaurants to provide meals for first responders and frontline workers. Hermer is also the co-founder of the healthy packaged food brand Maverick Snacks, which was founded in response to the overwhelming childhood obesity problem and lack of wholesome grab-and-go options for kids, which I can attest lasted one day in my house before they were totally ravaged. Mostly Marissa is infectiously joyful, always striving to find fun wherever she can, and you can't help but feel happier just talking to her, which is so important right now. I hope you enjoy her as much as I did.
1: All right, Marissa, you ready? (laughs) By the way, I'm crying laughing. This is the most fun I've ever had. Okay.
0: (laughs) Honestly, guys, we had just started a minute ago and I was having an existential crisis because I could hear the sound of my own voice. It like took me by surprise, but I think, I think we've got the mic. We're in a good place. How are you? I love this background.
1: <laughs> where am I finding you? I am currently in a hotel bedroom at the Pierre hotel where we are reopening our, all of pop-up location on Friday. So we, this is the, I think the fifth time we've reopened this restaurant and we're super excited. So I've just come from a bunch of meetings downstairs and just nipped up to hotel room to chat with you. I was going to say that's so
0: exciting, but I guess that's the thing, right? So, for anybody who's not in California, we had our regulations and restrictions lifted last Friday, I think, finally saying that restaurants were able to open again because we've been closed for, obviously you're going to be able to tell us more about this.
1: Yeah, I'm a diner and you're a... I'm a diner too. Well, you're a diner, but you are... <laughs> but yes, yes, I, I sort of, Um, I'm an operator. You're a restaurateur. I mean, we, I'm a restaurateur. We own and operate restaurants. and But I'm also a, I'm a diner and I'm a social bee. I'm an extrovert. And this has been a really... Terrible time for any extrovert. I mean, even just seeing yeah. you right now, it's really nice to talk to someone.
0: Yeah. Okay. So tell me, how has your headspace been as someone who is a social bee?
1: God, I mean, some mornings I wake up and I'm like, I can conquer the world. Life is great. There are so many silver linings. And then some mornings I wake up and I brush my teeth with cortisone, you know, in to the top <laughs> drawer. I'm like, you know, we've been dragged from pillar to post. And I think we all have, but I think. Working moms, it's incredibly challenging to homeschool our children to work, to find outlets, and especially for extroverts. Like a lot of people, I think, who is an introvert were built for this. Some people love like cozying up with a blanket and reading a book. And by the way, I like the idea of that. And I wish I was more like that. You like it in theory, but not practice. Yes. I'm like, I like to jump from table to table and kiss all my friends and cuddle. And it's a challenging time. I hope to God it's coming to the end. And I hope also we've learned so much from it that we can put into practice moving forward. But it's hard.
0: Yeah. I think also it has to be compounded so much for you because- in your particular business, I feel like it has been impacted so greatly. Also, just like you were saying a little bit with the stop and start, and you have responsibilities for all the people that you're employing and all the safety precautions and all the other things. And it's like, you kind of see both sides of it, obviously, as someone who would like to participate and then someone for whom this is your livelihood too. It's got to be an enormous amount of pressure.
1: Totally. It's, you know, it's my family's livelihood. It's also the livelihood of 200 people who work for us who we've had to furlough multiple times. I'm by nature a mama bear. That's just my personality. And it's really hard not to be able to take care of everyone who works for us and, and to not have the answers. I'm I'm such a solution person. I There are questions that arise every day and always problems, and I can always find a solution that's just how I'm built and equally, I think how anyone who works in the hospitality industry, we are faced with fires every single day, maybe in the kitchen, maybe on the floor, you know, whatever it is. And we're always putting out fires. And this is this is something that we don't have the answers to. There's no rule book. And things are changing all the time. I mean, the regulations are changing all of the time. And how can we put the pieces together to not only operate a successful business, but also give our guests a wonderful night out when people need it more now than ever?
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, so tell me something fun. What was the last lie that you told?
1: <laughs>
0: You're like, where do I begin? I,
1: like, I mean, I lie to my family every day. So, and probably to myself. Like yesterday afternoon, I lied to my family and said I was going to the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Where'd you really go? Back to this hotel? <laughs> no, I went. To, I went to the supermarket. I went to Gelson's, but I didn't get out of the car. I sat in the parking lot, and I just emailed. I like got through my to-do list for a while and then I thought I should probably come back with something so I like picked up a jug of milk and came back home so that's not mainly the lie I mean I've been to the dry cleaners like 10 times quote-unquote uh-huh. quote-unquote and instead I like go and get sushi and just sit in my car and like read a magazine and then come home <laughs> it's basically lying about self-care or just getting work done getting out of the house yeah it's so funny
0: too because at the same time that we're disconnected from all of our friends and all the people that feed your soul in different ways This is not knocking your family, but you're getting so much family time, right? That it's like, you need to reconnect with yourself. And it's so hard when you are in the house and you are working and you're trying to, to keep everything going and normal. And then also throw in the the kids and school stuff just to have any time just for yourself, like just the quietness to reconnect.
1: Yeah. I think that the personal space is challenging. And look, we don't live in an apartment in New York City. We live in a house with space in the Pacific Palisades. So I'm not completely on top of my family, although we are really, you know, it's just a very different momentum that we've all, you know, it's like going from, you know, 60 degrees into, or 60, what, 60 miles an hour, 60 degrees, who knows, um, into a brick wall. So it's finding those ways to keep that momentum going.
0: Right. And someone recently told me that a fish grows into their bowl yeah. It's a, such a good metaphor for what's happening right now too, right? Because we're just utilizing our spaces in a way that we never have before. Okay. So we all know about all the things that we have lost and all the compromises that we've made in our lives. And none of that compares to the devastation that a lot of people have gone through. But what do you feel like you have gained in a way through this time?
1: I think I've gained designing my own adventure.
0: You're like, I think like- I've gained 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs>
1: definitely gained like an alcoholic level in my life no I really learned how to create my own adventure what were those kids books like choose your own adventure yes I know like where it was like
0: basically like you could go left or you could go right kind of a thing yes
1: and I'm an adrenaline junkie I just like love traveling and moving and jumping out of airplanes and just that
0: literally or figuratively like do you actually jump out of airplanes
1: yes (laughs) Literally, although I haven't done this in a while, you're like, you're mad. As a restaurateur, I think anyone in the hospitality industry is by nature. We just like love that. Like that pace.
0: It's like a frenetic kind of like energy. Yeah.
1: Totally frenetic. And I love it. And it's contagious. And I really miss that not being on the floor and not having these daily catastrophes in our restaurants. Now, not that that's a nice thing, by the way. We have much bigger daily catastrophes on a global level and also how it's affecting our business. But I think the things that I knew I could always handle. Nothing that
0: compares to what goes down at Olaveta on a Saturday night though,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun to be faced with daily challenges and know you can overcome yeah, that.
0: Yeah. You're never bored.
1: You're never bored. And that's the adrenaline. And I haven't had that for a while. So I started creating new adventures. Like I've, I've, <laughs> I've taken up skateboarding. I saw this. And that is really fun and fabulous. And by the way, it's a terrible idea. I have more bruises on my legs. Like, I look like a two-year-old who's like walking around, like I've got like band-aids and bruises, but it's fun to find different ways that give me outlets for my knees. You're
0: like looking for various different ways to potentially injure or kill yourself during this time. <laughs> Basically,
1: I'm, the fact that I'm surviving right. is like, I'm like, how can I actually hmm. maybe not make it through another day? feels like a good one. <laughs>
0: Was that something that your kids were doing or were you just like flipping through your Thrasher magazine and like had the need for speed?
1: My kids were not doing it. They've started doing it now because mommy wanted to do it. I just have the need for speed and I'm not getting it elsewhere. And it's it's fun. (laughs) By the
0: way, my kids actually take skateboarding. I have a coach. I have a coach yeah. too, but I don't actually take skateboarding from him. But now I'm feeling like maybe I should. Although you should. I used to actually like to skateboard sometimes. And I remember not long ago, we were in Manhattan beach visiting a friend and her son had a board. And I was like, let me show you, like, I can totally do this. Cut to within two seconds flat. I had fallen on my ass. The fact that I didn't break my tailbone was amazing. And my kids like got such a good laugh. And my husband can't stop talking <laughs> about it still. But I don't know that I have like the desire now to get back on.
1: No, I mean, by the way, fair enough. It's a terrible idea of mine that I've had to start. But now it's, again, it's sort of, it's like a dr- it's addictive.
0: What about surfing? Do you surf?
1: Yeah, it's a little cold right now. I would have said I have a 3-4 or 4-3 wetsuit. I don't,
0: I, I, is that like a uh, wetsuit jargon? It's a warm one. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's a wetsuit You're jargon. like, I've got the 3-4 uh, um,
0: um, uh, rip curl model. <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> We've just actually booked a surf trip to Costa Rica in the end of March it's a little chilly right now right
0: okay so we'll wait to get back in the water
1: we're gonna wait to get back on the water but I think things like that like that, those are things that I've learned that I never really made time for before because nor did I need it I didn't need it before I had enough adventure in my life and now I'm like creating yeah you're
0: not allowing for any stagnation
1: yeah wait so okay let's yeah. talk about the idea of
0: having it all the notion of having your cake, eating it too. I feel like you will probably have a very funny outlook on this. Is that something you buy into? If so, what would it look like to you?
1: I should have thought about this more, but
0: yeah, it's not like it's the title of the podcaster.
1: Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I have listened to all your podcasts. I cannot believe, I mean, you had Amanda Gorman. This is unbelievable. It also makes me incredibly insecure. I'm so glad I'm not coming right after her. And it was Deborah Messing. By the way, she's so eloquent and poetic. And I'm like, I don't want oh to tell my- you that
0: she's literally 22 because you may murder yourself in that hotel room.
1: I honestly, I'm like going <laughs> to off myself. <laughs> One of those. You're like
0: not even going to wear your helmet next time you skateboard. I'm
1: like, honestly, I'm not going to just drop it and just end it there. Okay. What was the question? I can't even, Oh, oh. the name of the podcast. Yes. Again. Do you know what? I think it's, it's all about your perspective, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, my perspective changes all the time. I'm one of these right. people who can convince, I think I can convince anyone of anything. And I also- Well, we already know that you lie
0: to your family about your
1: whereabouts. And I, and I lie to myself all the time. So I'm like, this is great. You know, you're know, you absolutely fine. But like, we're not always fine. And I don't have it all. But I think in the moment, if you think about in this moment, whatever the moment is, even if it's the, like, the biggest catastrophe of your life, which- for me, it's probably right now. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> generally. But in this moment right now, Sarah, I am really happy because I'm chatting with you. We're having a laugh. It's this moment in time and I've got a smile on my face. And I, so I think it's, do I have it all right now? I feel like I do like my cup runneth over. Mm-hmm. Generally, do I feel guilty for, not being a mom who's always present because I'm working. Do I feel guilty when I'm working, when I'm being a mom and skateboarding with the kids that I'm not like Yeah, worrying, you're like, sorry, you I know. can't
0: help you with that. Unfortunately, I'm out at the park with Brandon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God. But I think if we just focus on the actual concentrated moments that we're in, then we have it all. Then I can be happy. And I think it's happiness is having it all. And we're not happy all the time, but I think if we just focus on those actual moments.
0: I can't imagine you not happy though, because you're someone who has just like a total infectious laugh. And I feel like, listen, if your Instagram is anything to go off of, which I am led to believe that everything I see on Instagram is true.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. You live a very fun, adventurous, speed chasing life. I'm a fun expert. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's by design. Did you go well. to school for that?
0: Or where did <laughs> or... <laughs>
1: like, I've been studying fun? I wrote my thesis on the funsters. I love to have fun and I like to create fun for myself and other people. I'm like, I'm like a quintessential hedonist. And, and I think maybe that's why I have the job that I do. Why do you say
0: hedonness and not hedonist? Is that a British thing or is it meant to be hedonist? Oh, maybe
1: it's a British thing.
0: All this time I've been practicing hedonism and I should have been practicing hedonism.
1: Let's just say it's a British affect mm-hmm. or I'm saying it absolutely wrong. Okay, either way, I like it. I'm going to go with the former. Yeah. Because I, I like, like, I'm like selfish. I like making other people happy. It's fun for me. I like making myself happy. And typically I create activities that do that for myself and for my family and for my friends. And I think that is having it all. but. Look, sometimes I'm on my knees. I mean, I don't usually take photos of myself when I'm sobbing in the corner or on my knees or like... Will you DM those to me? Yeah. (laughs) By the way, my brother has been in town for the last three months. I drank a bottle of wine with him last night. I heard you're doing um, Sober February, Dry February. I thought about doing that. No, I said I was
0: considering it. And um, what's today? February 3rd. Because February 1st, I was doing Sober February. That worry second I thought I don't want to do that. And so as a hedonist I decided not to. <laughs> I really want to speak with this woman who's writing this book. It's called like Drink Like a Woman or Don't Drink Like a Woman. Do you have you seen that? No. I I've seen it on a lot of people's Instagrams and I don't know if it's necessarily about people who have alcohol Listen, if you have an alcohol problem, absolutely like don't fuck around with that. I don't think I have an alcohol problem. I do think that I have a problem where I'm stuck in my house, you know, for the last year with two small children. And if having a glass or two of wine at the end of the night makes me feel a little less on my knees, then Mm. so be it. So it. I, I have a much more European sensibility. So, you know, for all the Americans who want to do dry January, that's cool. That's not my vibe.
1: I feel like it's a curse. Again, I like the idea of it. So you did that. No, I did I, I didn't do it. <laughs> oh, okay, because
0: I saw it on yours. I thought I saw something about dry January's I, over. But you meant just dry January's over, but I wasn't dry. Got I, it. <laughs> I was
1: dry for about four days or five days. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is just an absolute bore. By the way, I love wine. I also have an oral fixation. I like like, yeah. I, like I I like holding something in my hand. It probably keeps me from like hitting something <laughs> hard during this time too. But my saying goodbye to my brother. My brother's been with us for three months from New York. And I was so sad. I was like crying because I was missing him. And then something happened with work. And I'm like, how am I like pull rabbits out of a hat again? It's a constant recreating, reinventing of the wheel right now. Certainly for, I think probably everyone in their businesses, because this is just a completely different playground, but certainly in the restaurant world, it's like, how can we keep making magic happen over and over again? Yeah. So I, the next time I'm sobbing, I'll take a picture and send it to you.
0: Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Hello, my cheeky friends. Christina Evangelista here from the Half Naked Podcast, a show about underwear, vulnerability, and history. Yep. If you've ever been curious about those strappy things at the bottom of your corset or why thongs were invented, join me on Half Naked where we expose the crazy and fraught history of the undergarment industry.
0: Okay, so you you touched on this a little bit earlier and you said something about one of the silver linings being about like designing your own fun. And I want to yeah. talk about the idea of designing your own life. Had you always had a notion of wanting to be in the restaurant business or hospitality, or what kind of life did you envision for yourself?
1: I've never been one of those people who says, this is my five-year plan. I probably should. That's what like successful men and women do. I haven't, I've just followed my gut. And when, if it's making me happy, then I'm, then I'm going to keep following that light. So I've loved food and wine and community My whole life, I like gathering people together and sharing ideas. There's nothing that gives me more joy than having friends and family around a lunch table or a dinner table. And my first job was working with Ian Schrager in New York, opening the Gramercy Park Hotel. And I think it was then, I know it was then, that I just fell in love with the idea of hospitality and bringing joy to people. And from there, I just sort of followed that path. I met and married my husband.
0: Yeah, how did you get to London? Because your husband is British, right? Did you meet him in the yeah. States or did you meet him in London?
1: I'm, I met him in London. I was living in London at the time. I um, went to London after college and sat next to him at a dinner party. I was working in PR and hospitality mm-hmm. and he was a bar, owned bars and restaurants and nightclubs. And we just sort of hit it off. I mean, we didn't get together at that moment. We took a couple of years and reconnected, but... I think our shared passion really brought us together as as business partners. Did you stay
0: in London that whole time or did you go back to the States?
1: So I went back to the States. I worked with Ian Schrager, opened the Gramercy Park Hotels. I think I was 24 living in New York City, going out eight nights a week, you know, in gutters. Of- yeah, reco- you were doing
0: reconnaissance for your job. Let's be real. <laughs> exactly.
1: And did we not get look at hangovers when we were young? I feel like I was out every single night. And I was at my desk at eight in the morning and there was no problem at no. all. It just, I had that fuel. Oh, it was
0: incredible. And I would just literally order a breakfast burrito and it would just kind oh. of like fill up like all the extra tequila from the night before. But yeah, <laughs> that was the answer. what a time to be alive, right? Like I want to do it in reverse. Wouldn't it be fun to kind of like go back to that now?
1: Oh, if we knew what we knew then, I know. Okay. So then you end up
0: marrying him. You move back to London. And then at that point, you also seem like it's such a good partnership, obviously, because this is what you've been working on for the last several years. And that was his industry as well, right?
1: Yeah, I was working in art and design PR. I didn't want to work with him because I thought that would be a terrible idea to work with your spouse or partner. And I didn't want to work for one of his competitors because I also thought that would be a terrible idea. But you love terrible ideas. Terrible ideas are my wheelhouse. Right. (laughs) This is like, literally... This is gonna be on my epitaph, I swear. <laughs> Loves terrible ideas. Look, eventually he just said, I think we need to work together because you keep telling me what to do and I appreciate your right, like, you may as well I, be paid I for it. I need you. I might you might as well be paid for it. You yeah. might like this is the family business. Like you keep telling me what to do, and you're right, and I listen to you more than anyone else. And so, like, let's just work together. And so we did, and actually it works very well because we wear very different hats in the business. Mm-hmm. You know, he does his thing, I do my thing. When we get into each other's lanes, we scream at each other. But like, otherwise, it's a good division of church and state. And so we started working together in London and owned and operated bars, restaurants and nightclubs in London, Europe and Asia.
0: So what was that like being an American living in London? Did you have friends that were there? Did you feel sort of like it was your home? I did. You know, when
1: I first landed in London, right. Could you learn the language? (laughs) I was able to pick up the language quite quickly. Mm -hmm. I learned how to order a cup of tea. I learned all the silly British, like colloquialisms, like how to. Like hedonism. Yeah. Like hedonism, courgette, aubergine, blue, blue, all of those things. Rubbish. Do you, where's the rubbish bin like what are you right. talking about marissa you literally grew up in california you're from california newport beach right I, I don't know why sometimes i have this like hilaria baldwin moment and i'm like what is a jack called in this country like honestly snap out of it listen uh, but that's you know what
0: you're showing reasonable doubt you know for everybody's <laughs> suspicions right like you need to i don't know why you're skateboarding you should be coming to her defense i mean seriously
1: <laughs> um so i have friends in london You know, I did. I made a lot of friends when I first lived in London. And then I really joined Matt's group of friends and it was great. I mean, I loved it. Look, as an American, I'm a I'm an Anglophile. And so I was sort of living the dream. I mean, growing up in Newport Beach, which is a gorgeous town to grow up in. But then suddenly being transported to London, which is, I think Newport Beach. I mean, I'm getting this completely wrong, but it feels like maybe it's a hundred years old. It's like the Truman Show. It's everything's nice and new to that. Right, right, right. You wanted, you were craving more
0: history. Authenticity and like- right. I don't know why you have to knock Newport in, you know, giving London a compliment. <laughs> You're not saying anything about Fashion Island. <laughs> so much beautiful culture has come from the good people of Newport Beach.
1: Oh, Fashion Island, I know. God, oh, yes, okay, sorry. Everyone who's listening to this who lives in Newport Beach, I do love Newport Beach. It just I felt rooted in London. Mm-hmm. It just gave me a lot of comfort actually being there. I loved it. And so I yes, I had a lot of friends, but I also fell in love with the city. I mean the city, I miss that city so much. Let's talk
0: about Ladies of London. So Marissa was a cast member on the Bravo show Ladies of London. And how did this come to pass? And when were you like, I
1: want to be on a reality show or... I never said I want to be on a reality show. The fact that I even did a reality show still shocks me and that I mostly survived it. Again, bad decisions. Lots of bad decisions. I heard about this television show. A friend of mine said that they were casting for sort of the the Real Housewives of London Mm -hmm. type show and they were looking for like the American Girl Next Door character and I should be on it. And... I promptly said thank you very much, but no, thank you. I don't want to be on a reality show. The shows in London at the time were Big Brother. I mean, reality shows right. generally. Sorry for everyone who watches them, but I always thought they were sort of quite lowbrow, right? Like Jinx. and not that I am highbrow, but I just didn't think it was something that was necessary for me to add to my life. Right. Also, again, bad decisions. I'm. Pretty even keeled, but also you can say something completely crazy and then it will be all over the Twitter sphere the next day. I just didn't know if I wanted to add that anxiety into my life. But as we know, producers are incredibly persuasive. And before I knew it, they were flying over and convincing me to do this television show. They said it would be great for business, which they were right. It's kind of
0: a perfect platform for the type of business that you're in.
1: Totally. And look, my background in marketing and PR, yes, that made sense to me. I was concerned about putting my husband's businesses on global television because, again, I'm not an editor. I'm not a producer. I don't have any control in the editing room. And what could happen? I don't know. Also, it's not just me on the show. It's a bunch of other, like, of my dear friends who are equally lunatics, too. So, you know, you never know what's going to actually happen but my husband at the time said, look, if you do it and it turns out amazing. And if it's a total disaster, then it's something crazy you did, but we'll all still love you anyway. We'll add it to the list. You know, exactly. <laughs> but you know what? It was like going to the moon. And again, adventure seeker. I'm like, okay, well, let's give it a go. Like I, I've never done this before. Let's try it. Okay. So we
0: have a mutual friend, Juliet, who also was an American on the show. Right. But so
1: Yes. Was it just
0: you two that were the Americans or was it the like Countess Sandwich, the Duchess of Sandwich?
1: The Countess, Countess, Julie Montague, the Countess Sandwich joined, I think, the second season.
0: Okay, so tell us the skinny on being on a reality show, because I, I feel like from just even like the brief sort of behind the scenes that I saw with Juliet, like it's a lot more work than people think in terms of what goes into it. Am I right to think that you have to kind of produce certain things, right? You have to come up with like different, exciting, you know, like all these fights like don't just happen as organically as we would be led to believe.
1: No, they are they're absolutely produced, but they are hang on, that's not exactly true. I think the fights are actually incredibly organic or the ones that I had actually with Juliet were very raw and very real and kept me up at night and made me sob and all of those things. In real life, I would never fight with Juliet, but the playground that we were put on or the situations that were completely contrived did create that drama to happen. Right. But also, yes, you go through your diary. I mean, my life is not that interesting. I mean, I don't think. I'm like, okay, I did brush my teeth with cortisone in the morning, get the kids off to school. There you go. Right.
0: But you have to come up with you're like, okay, so today at the Correct.
1: restaurant this is happening.
0: Right. So Now we're layering in, there's three different things that are going on because in real life, you actually have this restaurant, right? So that's a real true responsibility that you have to handle. Then you have to come up with something for the reality show to make it seem interesting and also to be a viable character, right? Like people are fired from reality shows if they're not interesting enough.
1: Totally. You need to have some juice. You've got to have something interesting going on and it needs to be not only interesting, but also have some drama, have some cliffhangers, Yeah, you end up producing your own life, which just feels very weird, but also bizarrely gets really normal very quickly.
0: And then was it a strange phenomenon? Because I remember with Juliet, I think when it was first playing out, it was airing in the States, but not... In the UK, right? So people there, were you Correct. feeling like you were being recognized?
1: Not at all in the UK, but also like my friends didn't care. In fact, they were all horrified that I did it in the first place. Like, yeah. in fact, they just ribbed on it the whole time that we were doing this and thought it was a, you know, an awful, awful idea, which again, normal, Marissa Hermer. But when we came to America, I remember the first summer, we used to summer in Newport Beach, and I came to America and I was like, instantly getting surrounded I mean not to say I was like the Beatles but like you're like the
0: Beyonce of, you're did you tell the people surrounding you that you don't even like Newport <laughs> oh my god! you're like I look down on Newport you're literally a hundred years old I'm basically the queen. I'm the queen.
1: <laughs> the Bridgerton. I'm the Bridgerton. It was, it was a bizarre thing. It suddenly was, you know, I was getting recognized. My children were getting recognized. People would come up to my kids. It definitely, it weirded me out in the beginning. And then I got over it because the truth is people are just really nice and they're really excited to see you and they want to know about your life. And they're like, oh, I want to come to your restaurants or how are you doing? And actually, I was like, you know, actually it's really sweet. I was astounded that people actually watched the show. Like, I'm still astounded that people even take the time to do this. Was it, in fact, beneficial for the businesses? Absolutely. We got, I got so many emails and phone calls from people saying, I've landed in Heathrow and can I come to Bumpkin for a Sunday lunch? I mean, it would, all the time people were coming into our bars. Even more so, I think, you know, when we signed our first lease here in LA for the Draycott. I found out after we signed it that the leasing officer, she told me, she said, Marissa, actually, now that you've signed, I can tell you I'm obsessed with you. And <gasps> I am like, wait, what? <laughs> and she goes, I just, I love your show so much. And I'm so excited that you are our tenant. And that is, that has to help at some level, you know? I hope you ask
0: for a reduced rate for the rent.
1: <laughs> but I think, you know, I got a cookbook deal out of it and I would not, no one would care about what I'm cooking had I not been on a reality show. I mean, it's just, wouldn't be interesting. I wouldn't have that public platform. And now I do. And that's that's very valuable. And it's a wonderful way to connect to our customers and our patrons.
0: Yeah. And also, so while you were there, you decided to open a gourmet hot dog restaurant because you just really wanted yeah. to hammer home the idea of being <laughs> an American abroad.
1: I mean, do you know what? I had this thing. I don't know if you you were like this when you were pregnant. I feel like I was always pregnant and I was always craving my childhood food that I grew up on. And I couldn't get that in London. I could not get a good hot dog. And actually we were in Hong Kong at some point. We had a nightclub in Hong Kong and we went to this gourmet hot dog restaurant in somewhere in Hong Kong. Can't remember. And I thought, God, if there's a hot hot dog restaurant in Hong Kong. Hot dog Hong Kong. Honestly, yeah. we're going to have a hot dog restaurant in London. So, okay. You talk about being pregnant a lot during the show. Did you have two when you started the show or did you have? Max was about 10 months old when we started season one. I think at the end of season one, I found out I was secretly pregnant. And so I actually had the runners, you know, we're always drinking like all the late, we're always drunk.
0: Well, you have to, you have to be drunk if you're going to be on a reality show. I feel like, it's you, like you can't be, be drunk. sober
1: on a reality show. It's just, so what's the point? Like, how do you even handle this? These situations? Yes. Bring me five martinis. I couldn't have five martinis because... Right, so
0: you had them running to get you water and the other girls didn't know yet?
1: Nobody knew. So I chose one runner. You know, when I order a vodka soda, just put soda water in it. And she was so cute. And so she kept me well lubricated. Obviously,
0: it was a great addition for the businesses and a great platform for other things that you wanted to engage in. But what about, you know, I know when you had your daughter that you went through a lot of health scares was that a time where then you felt like, were you still happy to be having to share it in that way as well? Or did it add additional pressure?
1: You know what, it's so weird. It actually helped having this show. It was an escape for me. And when you are being told, you know, I was told by doctors that potentially I wouldn't make, survive the pregnancy, the delivery, or that Sadie wouldn't. And oftentimes, you know, it was, it was too real life. It was too scary.
0: Because what was it that was going on at that time?
1: So I had a um, a very rare condition called placenta acrita, which mm-hmm. means the placenta grows into my uterus and out the other side and into my internal organs, which means that the baby needs to be delivered two months early. So Sadie was delivered at 32 weeks, but also the process of delivery is is a massive surgery. It's why women still die in childbirth because there's just so much blood loss. And so they ended up needing to give me a hysterectomy in the process because they couldn't stop the blood loss. I think I had six blood transfusions or something. And then you also have to do multiple, like basically patchwork on my internal organs where the placenta had grown into.
0: Do you have to have a C-section then? If if you have placenta accreta, are you absolutely delivering via C-section?
1: You are absolutely delivering C-section. Did you deliver C-section before? I did. I delivered two section before, but I mean, there is a gentleman called David Knott. They call him the Indiana Jones of vascular surgery. He's actually a war surgeon. He was working in Syria at the time. And they flew him over to manage my surgery because it's wow. just such a it's a vast you need like the teams of vascular experts on it. That had to be so scary. It was so scary, but also to answer your question, it's weird. Filming a television show actually felt very trivial a nice escape. It was like, oh, this drama is so nice. I can handle this. And I'm going to throw myself into this nonsense drama because the real drama that's happening in my life, I can't process it. If I think about it, it's paralyzing to me. And so I'm just going to wake up in the morning and get my makeup done and have a cup of tea with these girls and just get through the day and just sort of move through this time. I think also weirdly, I mean, Sadie, her delivery was not on camera, but they filmed me the morning that I went into the hospital and having the producers around and the cameramen and people who had really become our family, like they were in our home every day all the time. It felt like I just had this incredible support network. Yeah. Like a cheering section. Like a ch- And they were, they, I mean, they were in the hospital with us. Like the head producer flew over from New York to like be outside my hospital. I mean, it was not great, but I felt their love and their energy. And equally in this very childlike school of thought that I have where everything on TV has a happy ending, I sort of thought they're not gonna let one of the main characters die <laughs> right. on this show because that's not happily ever after. Although probably
0: good for ratings
1: really great for ratings. Thank God it didn't happen. But it sort of gave me this weird, nonsensical sense of comfort. No,
0: I understand that. It's like seeing a celebrity on your plane. You're like, we're not going down because the Jonas Brothers are on the plane.
1: (laughs) We're not going to die. And so it was okay. It actually, and the other thing which came out of it, which was completely accidental is I've had so many messages and phone calls from women who are going through tricky pregnancies. And it's not something that anyone talks about because it, it makes you vulnerable and insecure, but I've had so many fellow pregnant women from around the world reach out to me. several in London saying I'm having a high risk pregnancy. Who is your doctor? So I've connected them to my doctor, but also like, how did you get through it? And thank you so much because you're talking about something that I don't have the voice for right now. And that, that makes me feel good. Right.
0: And it made it feel worth it after the totally. fact too. And now you also, you have your beautiful daughter. So would you ever do another show?
1: I mean, look, I never say never. And again, I'm- You're like, look, I'm at a pitch meeting right after this. (laughs) Great for terrible ideas. I like the idea of doing an actual documentary. And actually I was in the process of moving forward with a, um, a restaurant sort of documentary right before COVID hit. So that was fun. I think a reality show, I feel like I've ticked that box and equally it's a lot of work and it is a lot of drama. And right now I think I have enough drama in my life with operating restaurants in a global pandemic that I'm not sure I need to add to the drama. But yeah, I never say never.
0: Let's talk about the program that you launched during COVID as far as getting food to frontline workers and all the people that needed it at most. Obviously, this is a great thinking on your feet and working with the resources that you do have. What was the impetus for starting that?
1: So we started a program, a give back program called You Give, We Cook, They Eat, which is a very clever title that just says
0: exactly. Uh, I can't really understand what it
1: means, (laughs) but it has a certain ring to it. Do you know what? That was just a very accidental philanthropic program that we set up because Governor Newsom gave the notice and then we were shut. So we had as kitchens do storerooms of food and produce and meat. And we were like, what are we going to do with this? Now, obviously we cooked for all of our employees, but then I was actually on the phone with a friend of mine who's a nurse in a local hospital. And she said, we are on our knees. I'm so tired at the end of the night. I can't even pack a lunch for the next day. And equally, I can't even run out for lunch because we're so slammed. I mean, this is a war zone. And I thought, okay, well bring you some pasta. Like food for me is Yes, it's fuel, but it's also nourishment on such another level. And I think when you bring someone food, you know, when you drop off a lasagna at your neighbor's house or you bring muffins, to your, whatever you're doing, it's a lot more than just the, sort of the fuel you're putting in your tummy. So I was in the car and I think I had 30 pastas and I was driving to Cedar Cyanide. And I got a phone call from a friend and I said, Oh, I've got a hop. Um, I'm just delivering this to the ICU unit. And she said, what are you doing? And I just explained it. And she said, I'm taking a picture of my credit card. She texted it to me. She said, put $2,500 on it. I want to do your next deliveries, whatever that means. I want your team to keep cook. I want you to pay them to cook. I want, I mean, <laughs> I was driving, so she didn't have to pay for the delivery. Um, and I want you like, to, be uh, to pay for the food. <laughs> Five stars, please. You're like, I'll just give you my Venmo name. (laughs) She did that. And I think I posted an Instagram picture of it or a story. And I said, thank you so much. And then I got five DMs from a couple of friends and also a couple of fans, like people who just followed me saying, I want to help too. Here's my credit card number. It was overwhelming. And by the way, this was in March when we were all being told to sit on the couch and watch Netflix and right. do absolutely nothing, which sounds nice, but also we are you, doers. We are givers and people want to help. And so as an essential worker, I was able to do something and it felt good because I got to move. I got to keep my momentum going. Our kitchen teams were able to keep working while it's we incredible. set up takeaway. And most importantly, our these heroes on the front lines and our first responders, I mean, I see them multiple times a week now, and they're they have tears in their eyes. look they're, theyre it is really hard in Los Angeles right now, and I know our restaurants are opening up again, and some schools are going back to school, but equally, it's hard and it's scary. and so when you know someone from around the world is is giving money to a restaurant to you know it's, you just feel that love
0: that's one of those perfect exemplary this is the purpose of social media in a really good way right in an altruistic way that isn't just about tearing people down or taking away all your time it's just like focusing everybody's efforts and actually accomplishing something good
1: i have to say it's that is the silver lining of this time i've felt the support of our community both for our frontline workers and and, and first responders but also our restaurant you know we we had to furlough all of our team the day before thanksgiving for the last shutdown and that that broke my heart, and you know, there's only so much that we can do as a family to help these restaurant workers when our businesses is, is equally suffering. And I saw a lot of our neighbors just in the street, and they said, "Marissa, we want to do something for your for your teams, like." a holiday fund. And I said, okay, like they raised almost $10,000 for my teams for their holiday fund. And that is just, it makes my heart burst. How wonder this is a really terrible, terrible time, but also people are really wonderful.
0: Right. And coming together in the most incredible ways. Okay. You were talking about food nourishing. Now I have something here. <laughs> You've also recently launched snacks. So I want you to know that I was like, oh, I'm going to get one of these snacks for my call with Marissa. This was the only one left. And I think we got these like two or three days ago. So this is the Eats-a-Pizza crackers.
1: Eats-a-Pizza. Isn't it delicious? Yeah, like,
0: you know, (laughs) apologies for the crunching, but these are so good. So when did you launch these? And is this your first like real product, right?
1: Yes. So Mavericks was conceived when we moved from London to Los Angeles four years ago. London eating habits are very different. And I will never forget the first time when I learned this because I think I, by the way, when I was in New York, I only ate on the streets. Thinking back on it. What do you mean you only
0: ate on the street? Like street meat?
1: Right. <laughs> street meat. I went down at four o'clock for my office and I would get a slice of pizza, hot dogs all the time. And I was constantly eating on the go. Mm-hmm. I would go get a bagel and a coffee, eating, talking, walking, and going to work.
0: We needed something to offset your drinking.
1: We We uh, are. To <laughs> just soak up my stomach. I'll never forget when I first got to London and I was eating a Pret sandwich. And I think I took the Pret sandwich and I started opening it on the sidewalk and then took it down to the subway. And my husband was like, that is so disgusting. Like, how are you eating in front of people? And I was like, oh, I was so embarrassed suddenly.
0: Wait, that you're eating in front of people or that you're exposing it to the subway germs?
1: Probably all of the above. In the UK, you sit down to eat. Yeah, you're civilized. This isn't Newport, Marissa. Civilized. This is not Newport Beach where we just have our guac and go. And even our children, like I think in the UK, my kids would sit down for tea and you'd sit at a table and you'd have a placemat. It's just much more civilized. In the US, when we moved here, we were always in the car. We were always going to sports games. It's such a snacking culture here. And so when I was looking for sna- oh, and packing lunches every bloody day. In the UK, kids' schools have cafeterias with like executive chefs. They get food made for them in the school. Of course they do. Of course they do, right? It's the perfect country. Not in Newport Beach. In Newport Beach, we have to pack three children's lunches a day.
0: Well, at the homeschool that I'm running right now, we have to not only pack (laughs) lunch, but we have to have literally no less than three snack breaks during a four-hour day.
1: I asked my kids, I was like, you need to get your school stomach back together because you never used you had snack once a day at school. Then you had lunch. My children live in the pantry. It's like that pantry door gets more action than anything else in my house. Yeah,
0: but now that mom is a maverick too and has her own snack company, like that's pretty legit.
1: So we needed some healthy snacks in the U.S. because while my children love goldfish and Oreos, that's not a snack. And I just didn't think that was interesting enough. And I like non-GMO and so there you go.
0: Well, I have to say they're delicious and they're doing really well here in my house.
1: (laughs) At the Sarah Rip House.
0: Okay, so just moving into personal, you said that sometimes obviously you're literally just driving to the store so that you can have some time alone in your car. Under normal circumstances, how do you sustain yourself? Because the whole notion of we expect women to work as if they don't have kids and raise kids as if they don't work, but you have three and then you have all these restaurants and then you have this. There's a lot of people coming at you all the time. How do you designate time for yourself and make sure that you are sort of pouring from a full cup of wine?
1: I'm like mezcal. I'm not always pulling from a full cup. I use humor a lot. Like I generally laugh at things before anything else. And that's just something I was either taught as a young child or born with it. But that gives me a sense of joy. I also do, as far as like a, a moment of self-care, if I'm doing something that could be conceived or thought of as self-care, I say it. So like, rather than just taking a bath or even like going in the shower, I'm like, I'm doing, by the way, showering is not self-care. I hate it when everyone's like, oh, I took a nice long shower. By the way, that's just like, that's just maintenance.
0: That's bathing.
1: (laughs) But sometimes I'm like, okay, when I go in the shower, I'm actually going to take a moment for myself. And I sort of have to spell it out to myself. So I convince myself it's happening. And I think sometimes if you say something enough, you start to believe it. So when I go in the shower, then I'm like, oh, I'm going to use this sea salt all over my body. And isn't this nice, Marissa? And you sort of like, you're sort of saying it to yourself. So I believe it. I like build a narrative around moments in my life. Do you say it out loud? No, but maybe I'm going to start. Although do you know what? I talk to myself so much. Like the other day, I was just having a chat with myself in the bathroom. <laughs> my kid, Max came in. He's like, mommy, who's in here? And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> no one. I'm literally having You're like, call- I've literally just
0: lost my mind. <laughs> I'm literally. I'm imagining you use be- sort of like Kevin McCallister style, <laughs> like come up and get me. I'm rubbing Epsom salt and eating rubbish. <laughs> Marissa is rubbing the lotion on her knees now. She's rubbing it circularly.
1: <laughs> I, am, I use Epsom salts as much as possible. I light all the candles. I have a stack of poetry books next to my bed that oh. I, even if I read one page, I'm like, this is good for me right now. And so I sort of do it like vitamins. I'm not sure if I always believe that it's self-care, but I'm telling myself it is. And I'm convinced that if I tell myself something enough, it's going to stick. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And like you said, you lie to yourself all the time. So why should the self-care be any different? What about taking victories? So I was really moved by, I thought you wrote a really beautiful birthday post and you said something about the fact that like traditionally your birthday is something that you're kind of happy to let it must fall between what Christmas and New Year's. What's your birthday?
1: Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. December 30th. Ooh, that's gotta be like a (laughs) rough one growing up, right? Do you know what? I think we know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. So I didn't know anything else. And equally, I was always around my family. Right. That's true. I liked it at the time. You wrote something
0: about the fact that like, you know, you love celebrating other people and you love putting people and their needs and their enjoyment first, but that you've always sort of like quietly had your birthday, like fall between, and dare I say, you said parapets, right? (laughs) Yes. yes. is Is that a word that you use on the daily or were you consulting one of your poetry books when you wrote that post? No,
1: I do use that on the daily. I think sometimes I like to be behind the scenes a little bit and which will shock a lot of people because I'll oftentimes I like to be in the spotlight. I don't know. Birthdays are funny to me. And maybe it's because I, I never had big birthday parties because of the time of year it was like I always hosted the end of school party. That was sort of my birthday party, but it was never for me, but I never, it's when the attention is totally on me, it gives me a little bit of anxiety. Like I get nervous.
0: But what was nice about what you said about this was that traditionally you don't take much stock in another year gone by and you know, the different things, but you really like made a point of listing out all the different ways that we've leaned in this year, right? Like this business that you've created, being able to help people in the way that you have, all the all the ways that we've stressed ourselves as humans and as people and as mothers and as caregivers and as friends and as da- you know, daughters. And I thought it was really beautiful because I, I'm always interested to talk to people about taking stock in what we have accomplished. And it's so easy to get focused on what's next. And especially for you in the restaurant business, you were literally, like you said, it's like one day you're open, one day you're closed right now. You are thinking on your feet all the time. But do you think that you'll be more mindful of trying to take stock in all that you have
1: accomplished so far? Yes, I will be because we're having this conversation right now. And I think it's really important. So it's, it's because of me. It is because of you. And also I think it's important to have ourselves acknowledge our own accomplishments. And also what has worked. Like, I've leaned into friends in a new way that I ever have before. In fact, I was <laughs> saying this to my brother the other night and it came out. I was like, I've never needed my friends so much. And he's like, what are you talking about? That sounds ridiculous. What do you mean need your friends? I said, I guess I rely on them. Like, My friends were always my friends and we just had a great time to e- with each other. And I guess maybe I've never, this has been the hardest year of my life by far. And I've never needed my friends as like fellow warriors or soul sisters or just to tell me it's okay or just to listen to me because I just, I think I've never been great at being vulnerable. It's just not something that I'm that comfortable with. And I've been incredibly vulnerable this year and it's a has been and is a scary time. And it's through our friendship that we can lean on each other and, and get, Through this. And it it just astounds me. I'm like, I'm so in awe and grateful for my friends and friends is yes, like my nearest and dearest, but also my friends at the hospitals who I've met, who I've built relationships with my employees and team members who have come to work when they're scared, when we don't know if being in a restaurant is a scary place to be or not, even though we're, you know, like I am so in awe of people's strength and continuing to reinvent themselves and courage and like soul generosity. And it's just, it blows my mind. I feel it in the energy, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, knowing what you know, and knowing that life looks different today and that you are sort of focusing on relishing moments and not future Mm. tripping and not trying to control things that we can't. What would the notion of having it all look like to you today?
1: I think it's having moments like this, it's connecting our souls with each other and being vulnerable. And before being vulnerable to me felt like I was powerless or not in control. And actually I find so much joy in sharing my own vulnerability with a new friend or an old friend or a family member and feeling safe with that. And I think I think it's finding the safe spots. I think that is having it all. And wherever our safe spots are, lean into that because that feels so great. I love that.
0: All right. So where can people find you if they don't follow you already? Where can they visit your restaurants? What's the latest status? Like how can we support? Yeah, How can we oh. eat more of these Eats of
1: pizzas? <laughs> so I'm going to finish. You can find. You can find me at Olivetta and the Draycott. We are reopening the Draycott this evening, outdoor dining on the terrace, which is- Congratulations. So exciting. I cannot wait to have our team back together and see our friends and neighbors and patrons on our terrace. You can find me at Olivetta. We're reopening on Friday. You can find me at the skate park. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you can find Mavericks at Whole Foods, on Thrive Market, on Amazon. You can find me on Instagram. I won't be sharing all the times when I'm sobbing and my, I'm on my knees. Those,
0: those are reserved for me.
1: Those are reserved for you. But also like, maybe I will because it's the whole circle. Do you know? Like, I think I'm discovering life is so wonderfully layered right now. And let's feel all the feelings. For sure.
0: I'm a, and I'm going to... Oh my God, how's the eats
1: pizza? <laughs> no, they're so good. Right. I, I hear what you're saying, but all
0: I'm doing is like eating these.
1: Wait, can I have a picture of your mm-hmm. eats a pizza? Uh by the way you should do commercials when we do a mavericks commercial that was a great photo literally you guys
0: just heard it if i do not if you do a commercial and i'm not cast (laughs) do you know i've been looking for my role my entire life and if it's the girl eating the pizza
1: so be it this is like the next super bowl commercial forget about the carl's jr girl i'm allie landry
0: everyone's got to start somewhere Marissa, I love you. Thank you so much for taking the time today, popping up to the hotel room. What did you say? Actually, you didn't say pop up. You nipped up.
1: I'm going to nip up and maybe take a kip. No way, that's not happening. But does that sound nice?
0: You take a kip. Keep doing you. And I can't <laughs> wait to come see you in person soon. Best of luck with the reopening.
1: I'm so happy to see you. And
0: thank you for doing this. Am I donening? That's it for today's episode of Having It All and Other Lies. I've been having so much fun talking to and learning from all these amazing women, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and also follow along at Having It All Podcast and swing on over to my page at Sarah underscore Riff. I love hearing from you guys, so please keep up the DMs and emails. And if there's anyone that you want to hear from, let us know. Having It All and Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. See you next week.